Good morning, everybody. We're ready to get started. Sorry for the late start. We had some, obviously, some technological problems. Uh, so this Bible class is going to be a little bit of my report for the uh, convention. And uh, you can go to the web. There's a, a website, the Adult Bible Study page, and I have uh, some links on there that you may want to take a look at. All, there's a ton of stuff, a lot of different information, and you can take a look at that. I'm going to just briefly go over some of the, some of the parts of the convention, and you're on your own to dig into all the rest of it if you're interested. But let me begin with a prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for uh, this day of worship and fellowship with one another as you have blessed us in the proclamation of the word and, and the celebration of Holy Communion, so also bless us now in the uh, study of your word and discussion of it. And uh, bless our church, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and help us as we strive to be uh, your church, your uh, church confessing uh, the word of God and all of its truth and purity and uh, living out the gospel in our lives. And uh, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So first uh, thing I wanted to begin with. So some of you have been in our church for many years. You may not even know all of this. Um, maybe you do. Some of you maybe haven't been in our church for very long, and even if you've been through the basic Bible study, the new member class, uh, I don't have time to go over in those nine weeks uh, all of these things about some of the nuts and bolts uh, and how our church works, what we call sometimes the polity of the church. But so I, I wanted to begin with just a couple of things about that. First of all, what is the LCMS. LCMS stands for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. It might better be said the Lutheran Churches of the Missouri Synod. Uh, synod is a Greek word that means walking together. These are churches that, are un that unconditionally subscribe to the Christian confession of the Book of Concord, 1580. Notice I, I say Christian confession, not Lutheran confession. That's because the very title page of the Book of Concord, uh, we talked about that when we were going through the Lord's Prayer, and I showed you that website, uh, bookofconcord.org. And when you go to that title page of the Book of Concord, you see in great big, huge Gothic letters, you know, Christian. This is the Christian confession. This is the confession that we believe is uh, the true confession of the church on earth. Uh, and so these are churches that uh, subscribe to that. That's basically what we mean by the Lutheran church or churches of the Missouri Synod. Missouri, why Missouri? Well, that's just because when uh, these were Christians from Europe, Germany mostly, they uh, fled from Germany because of Christian persecution. They were being told what to believe, basically, by the government. Sounds familiar. And so they had something they, had something they could do. It's a lot harder for us to do. There isn't so much of a new world anymore that we can go run to. Uh, anyway, so they got it. They sold all their belongings, these, these folks. Uh, many of them were business businessmen, tradesmen. Uh, they pooled together a lot of their money and they bought a big chunk of property in Perry County, Missouri. And they got on ships, went across the Atlantic, uh, came to New Orleans, went up the Mississippi River, and they uh, began their new life in Perry County. That's why it's called Missouri. But they soon spread out. And so originally the title of this group of people was the Lutheran Church of the Missouri and Illinois and Ohio and other states. 
But that got to be such a long title <laughs> that they cut off all the other states. Uh, there's actually, I think it's still holding maybe the Illinois, I might, I think might have the most LCMS Lutherans. Texas might beat us out now. Michigan would, these three states, Michigan, Illinois, and Texas. I know Illinois has the most representatives to the convention of any other state. Uh, so I think that might be still true that we have the most... Um, so it really should be the Lutheran, the Lutheran Church Illinois Synod, <laughs> if, size, if size is any indication. Um, but what does this really mean? Well, our, our belief in the church, the Christian church, is that when the New Testament speaks about the church, the primary way it speaks about the church is the local church. Uh, that would be actual Christians gathered around uh, the word and sacraments with a pastor. And then these churches do form a larger group, a body, uh, body synod, uh, whatever you want to call that body of churches. But everything after that is, um, arbit well, arbitrary or man-made, you know, whether we call... Uh, pastors, super pastors who are in charge of a larger region, whether we call them, some churches use the term superintendent, some churches, Catholic church uses the word bishop, uh, but bishop in the New Testament actually means any pastor. Any pastor of the New Testament is a bishop. So the key for us is that the local church comes first, and then all other associations beyond that kind of our secondary. Uh, most uh, churches see it in the exact opposite way. They see this hierarchy. Like you, like, and we've had this come up before at our church. One time there was a wedding in, in Granite City at one of the Lutheran churches there involved some of our members, and they didn't like the way the pastor was, was dealing with this wedding. And so they came to, to me and like, I want to know... You know, I want to talk to the CEO of the LCM, LCMS. You know, I want to talk to the, I want to take this to the president of the Senate. We're going to get this fixed. And I just had to explain to him, it doesn't work that way. Um, uh, each pastor, each congregation is autonomous. That is, we don't, nobody from the outside know, we're not a denomination in that sense. The Missouri Synod is not a denomination that come and say, well, you, you can't build a school. If you want to build a school, you can't do that. You have to get permission from us first. Uh, it doesn't work that way. Uh, the only thing the Missouri Synod does is to oversee our doctrine because that's the one thing we're all committed to in this Synod is that we all confess, well, we just had our installation of our teachers uh, right, so Hannah and Sarah, did you remember the long questions I asked them? You know, do you subscribe to these confessions? So that's what they really have control over, our doctrine. And sometimes, and they, and they want to make sure that if we call, whenever we call a pastor, that that pastor also subscribes to that, to that book of Concord, that Christian confession. And the only other times they might get involved is, you know, in an advisory way. Um, if there's some problem, if the pastor's misbehaving or something like that, then they're going to come in and be kind of an arbit arbiter. But in the end, it's the congregation that has to di dismiss that pastor uh, from the church, from that local church. Nobody can come in and, and dismiss me from being your pastor. You have that power to do that. Okay, so that just shows you a little bit of the difference between the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod and most other denominations. Most others tend to be more hierarchical and take that approach to leadership. So that's a little bit about what is the LCMS. Let's talk about the convention and what are conventions. So every three years, 
Each circuit of churches, roughly about 12 to 15 churches, sends one pastor and one lay delegate. Notice the balance there. This is, a, this is also part of our doctrine and practice that we believe that the church leadership should be a balance of the called pastors and the laity. And this goes back to the Bible and what it says about the role of pastors and the role of the people, the office of the priesthood of all believers, as uh, Peter speaks about it in his first letter. And so, and Paul, and the Bible also says that pastors uh, aren't to be dictators, they're not to rule over the people, uh, but that the people and the pastors are supposed to work together. So for that reason, our conventions are always half and half, half pastors and half laymen. So what do they do? They come together and it begins with congregations and other groups submitting what are called overtures. An overture is uh, something you want done or not done in the church. These overtures are then taken by what are called floor committees. And this is very similar to what you see going on in Washington, D.C. If you watch the news and C-SPAN and things like that, you see these committees. And the committees have hearings. And uh, we, so we have committees too. And the reason you have to do that is because it would take, our convention would last six months if we um, actually uh, tried to consider every overture that would get sent in. So the floor committees consolidate the overtures and they turn them into what we call resolutions. And the resolutions follow this format, whereas, 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 this is the reason why we want to make this change. And then therefore be it resolved, and there may be several resolves, therefore may it be resolved. And finally, may it be resolved that, whatever. We'll talk about some of those in a minute. The convention follows a modified version of Robert's Rules of Order. Those of you who have attended our church voters' assemblies notice, know that we, we also follow Robert's Rules of Order, but it is sometimes, uh, it, it's, it's sometimes uh, our own modified version of it. But basically, this is just a rule of order that we have to follow to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to speak and it, that there's a... Uh, we have a fair way that one, what we're really trying to avoid here and what our country is actually really struggling with is this problem of people trying to shout each other down rather than reasonably discuss an issue and then democratically vote on it and then deal with it in that manner. That's really what Robert's Rules of Order are all about. So. These resolutions that are put together by the floor committees are constantly being updated. And so if you look at that link on the website, you'll see that there's a number of documents called Today's Business. Today's Business is where you will find the final resolutions, even after they get modified a little bit um, and changed uh, along the way, even during the convention itself. So let me stop there. Any questions about uh, any of that kind of stuff? The, you know, how the sausage is made uh, in a large organization. Uh, how many here have been to a convention before? A few of you? All right. Good. Okay. Um, and I would encourage you, we, once in a while we do have them in St. Louis. And when we have them in St. Louis, I would encourage you, if you have time, to drop in and and uh, just watch what takes place. Just a few things about conventions in general. Uh, in my opinion, I've been to several of them myself, and that is that they're really, uh, uh, really kind of a joyful thing usually. Uh, it can be very, very controversial, and, and we can have big, big struggles and things, but they, you know, it's a church. It's the church still, and even though we get into arguments and difficult discussions and decisions, um, you'll still see, uh, you know, prayer. We have lots of worship in a convention, um, and uh, we have special essays, Bible studies, uh, introductions of different people, uh, 
different things that are going on. And, and so it's a really a kind of uh, uh, opportunity for the church to come together and uh, talk and, and, and discuss things and, and try to be the church that God wants us to be. So uh, I picked out a few resolutions and other things that I wanted to highlight from this convention. This convention was up in Milwaukee, and uh, which is really a pretty nice uh, city for, for a convention. I was talking to one person and he said, yeah, Milwaukee kind of reminds me of a smaller Chicago without all the problems of, of Chicago. And I would kind of agree with that a little bit. There's, uh, it's kind of a kind of nice place. Um, so uh, let me begin with a few things. Uh, the first one I'll talk about here is resolution 1-04A. A means it got amended from when it was first um, presented. This convention had to do with the whole question of sexual orientation. And uh, if you want to find the actual resolution, go to the link uh, that's for Monday, uh, July the 31st, today's business. And you can't search if you're just looking at it on the web. You have to download it. So uh, it's what I found on my computer anyway. But... Uh, this, this is a resolution that has to do with the whole transgender uh, questions that we are dealing with in our society right now. And we've dealt with them for quite a while. You can see in the resolution itself, a lot of times these resolutions pick up some, some of the history of these questions and some of the other ways we've, we've addressed it in the past. Those are always nice to go back and take a look at those. Um, this one basically says that we, we still preach what it says, preach the gospel to all people and to those especially who are either, you know, confused about their gender, their sex, um, and, uh, or in some cases, perhaps, and this is really what I think is where we're coming to with this whole question is, uh, are we talking in some cases about mental illness or are we talking about, in, that is to say, dysphoria? A person's unhappy. I, I don't feel happy. I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel good about being male or female. That's an old psychological, always was, uh, it was always uh, considered uh, a mental illness. Uh, that, that people had these, these feelings, uh, deep feelings about things like this. Um, or in some cases, it's not really that, but it's a matter of somebody just saying, I, I, this is the way I want to be. You know, I, I, and this is really the, where, we, where we get to the, the sin that's involved in this. It's a defiance of the creation of God and the way God made us. One of the key passages here would be Matthew 19, which is going back to Genesis, Genesis chapter one. Jesus is talking about marriage. He says, have you not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female? Well, if we're talking about unmaking that, then we are talking about, a, a, this, isn't, this is a problem with scripture, and this is a problem with God. And so we have to look at that and, and address it in, uh, I like the way the, uh, the resolution actually says, you know, with, with repentance and compassion uh, for anybody who may be uh, struggling over this. Again, whether it be a, just a mental illness, feeling struggle, or whether it be a disagreement with, the natural law and and with the and with God's word uh, on on this on this particular thing. So this is where where we stand today. And so the church, you know, passed this uh, really easily. Uh, most of the a lot of these resolutions pass by 70, 80, 90 percent at least. Most uh, uh, so there's not really much division in our church over this particular over this particular issue. So let me stop there. Any questions, comments about that? Paul? For the people who voted the 10 or the 
Yeah. Uh, that's a good question, Paul. Paul says, well, but, well, people, what about disagreement with this, with this resolution? What were some of the points they raised? Yeah, that's a good, that is a really good question. And actually, there's no way to get a hold of that unless you watch the video. I don't know if you can watch the videos because that's not really recorded anywhere uh, in the minutes unless it becomes an amendment to a resolution, then it actually shows up in the minutes. As I think back on this, or really this one, there was very little opposition uh, to it. Um, I, and I can't remember any specific thing that people brought up about it. Um, so I, I would have, you know, I would have to say that, um, um, you know, in, I think the biggest thing that I see as a pastor on this issue is people not seeing the difference between uh, being led, and I'm going to talk about this in, a, in one of the other resolution, resolutions, are we led by the culture around us? Or are we led by God's word? And that this one is a good example of that. If you look statistically at the numbers of people who struggled with uh, sexual dysphoria, this whole thing has blown up in the last five years. If you go back 10 years, 15, 20 years ago, there was a very, very small percentage of the population that really struggled with this. Now, maybe they, they were struggling, but they didn't want to say anything. I suppose that's a possibility. Or the other possibility is, this is just a trend. This is just a popularity thing. And I think the biggest struggle that a lot of people have is, it's not really a question of, of um, do I really agree with this or not, but more of a question of, uh, how do I handle being you know, the, uh, the turd in the punch bowl in, in, in this culture. If I stand up and say, I don't believe this. And, and you know, and you're going to be canceled. You're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be called a racist. And I think that's really the big struggle uh, that a lot of people um, are, are facing today. Uh, sorry for that gross... Uh, <laughs> Next time you get a bowl of punch, or next time you get a cup of punch, you're going to look a little more carefully. Uh, so I really do think that's the major issue. Uh, and, and so, and, and there's going to be a resolution that's going to address that too as well. So uh, we'll, we'll take a look at that. But the whole gender dysphoria, it's really a, it's a, really a sad thing. I, it's sad because, as I said, for some it really is a mental illness issue. Um, and I mean, there are people like, I don't want to be this way, right? And, and that, that happens. Um, and that's happened for, for ages. I've, I've always said this. Just, you got to remember that your mind is like any other part of your body. And just like you can have a stomach ache, um, just like you could have a kidney ailment, you can also have a mind ailment. The, the mind is capable of being ill and being sick. And so sometimes that's the way we have to look at these things. At other times, it's not really that. It's really, as I said, a defiance of the limits that God has placed on our lives. And I don't like to be limited. I, and it's really a question of, I want to be my own God. I want to, I want to be the one that determines it. Notice that passage. In the beginning, he made them male and female. Oh, I don't like that. I don't like the way he made me. I'm gonna, I wanna, so what you're really saying is you wanna be the creator, right? You wanna, you wanna, be, your, you wanna be your own God so you can uh, determine these things yourself rather than some other entity outside of yourself determining them for you. And that now becomes a first commandment issue. Um, and you shall have no other gods before me, even yourself. You can't put yourself before me either. So, okay, let's go along to another one here. Uh, or, oh, Just Bruce. Quickly, uh, did they mention anything about this whole push in the culture of trying to hide this uh, conversion to transgenderism from parents? 
trying to think, Bruce. Bruce's question is, did we address the issue of hiding this from parents? Not in this resolution, but uh, it will show up as a, the one I mentioned before. Let's see. Uh, the last one, Resolution 11-05, to address the relationship between church and state in an increasingly hostile environment. I don't know if that resolution specifically mentioned that problem, but it mentioned problems like that. There's also a resolution I don't have on, and it would probably be under this one too. There was a resolution upholding the authority of parents in society. And that one, I think, probably did mention that issue. You can, you can dig that one out um, as well and take a look at that. And that was easily passed. You know, but yeah, there's, there, the culture is, is yeah, hiding things from parents. This is the scariest thing about, about sending your children to a school where the teachers believe this. They believe that sex is something you pick yourself and so they tell children that nobody really knows, you know, what they are, and then they actually encourage them, you know, to explore. That's words they use, to explore and to discover. You know, like you've got to discover what sex you are. Um, you're not assigned your sex at birth, but... I'm even wondering how this is going to affect eventually birth certificates. Um, that's going to be an interesting thing. There are, there are places where they can be revised. Uh, so you, yeah, so, I don't know if that's the United States or if that's uh, in Europe. So, uh, so uh, Kevin brought up uh, uh, that some places people revise their birth certificates this way. Again, I mean, isn't if you look at that and think about that, that is a great example of you know really trying to defy nature itself, right? Uh, and, and so normally we would say, you know, the doctor assigns the sex at birth. Based on what? Observation of reality, you know? But their argument is that the bio biology, you know, is not the only factor involved in this. And that therefore, and because we are able through surgeries, we can actually change our physical body. Uh, I, I don't know that, you know, that, that too is a major factor in this whole thing. Would this even be as big an issue if we weren't able to do that at all? You know, you know for example, if if changing your, if, if cutting off part of your body meant you would die, I don't, you know, this would be a different debate, right? It would be a different debate. But because people are capable of doing that and doctors are willing to do that, now people think that my sex is my choice. See, where, see what this is. This is a, a, I get to choose who I am and, um, and, and, and rather than God, uh, rather than God choosing who I am. All right, yeah, good question, uh, Bruce. That's a, that's a real problem in our culture. 5-08A, uh, to affirm in-person communion. Uh, you gotta remember when you come to these conventions, there's all sorts of resolutions from the deeply theological to like some that are like kind of off the wall a little bit. And you might wonder, what's this one about? What do you mean? All about COVID. Yes, this has to do with some churches. I think they were all pretty much, I'm not sure where they all they were, but um, California was one uh, uh, state where this was going on. Colorado too, okay. What the pastors were doing was telling their people, you know, how we had our, our um, drive-in services, right? Uh, and they were telling their people, you can go home and you can get some crackers and some wine. Most of them would probably also said, you know, juice or whatever. And, um, and you can set them out and in front of your TV. And I'll say the words of institution. And then you can eat that and we'll call that communion. So that's what this, is, this, this resolution was dealing with. And basically... 
it stressed this passage from 1 Corinthians 10, 16, where Paul, notice what uh, Paul, he says, the cup of blessing which we bless, the communion of the blood of Christ. Is, the, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break. It doesn't say, you know, I break it here and you break it over there. It's obvious that in the New Testament, this was all done together. Um, and the word communion is a key word. Communion, koinonia, to share together, to be together. Um, and not just virtually. There were a lot of problems with this idea that you could commune uh, through videos. One of the problems is the pastor has a responsibility about who gives, who receives communion. Not everybody's ready to receive communion or should be receiving communion. And if you're going to do it this way, you have no clue who's on the, 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 the people can see the pastor in the video, but the pastor can't see the people. I suppose some did it through Zoom maybe, and that might be a little bit different. But anyway, the resolution easily passed, and, and uh, the, one of the district presidents from California got up, and, and he did say, hey, this isn't that big of a problem, and we're working on it, and, and our, we're talking with those pastors. And he gave the impression that this was all going to get resolved, and it wasn't going to be that big of a problem. So hopefully that's, that's true. But this is kind of odd, kind of quirky stuff that sometimes comes up uh, in, uh, in, in conventions. Um, so that was that one. Altar and Pulpal Fel Fellowship with International Lutheran Churches. Uh, this isn't a resolution. This is something else that happens in conventions. You have all sorts of presentations or recognitions. Now, I guess there were that we did have a bunch of resolutions about it because we did have to officially recognize our fellowship. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod only counts the people in the United States as part of the Synod. People in France have their own Synod, right? People in, in uh, Madagascar have their own Synod, right? So internationally, everybody has their own Synod. Uh, but again, we unite together in the common fellowship, the common ag agreement of faith. And so we had a whole bunch of international churches that joined with us in fellowship. And this is really an interesting thing. They all were up on the stage. Some of them, like France, is really small. We're only talking about a handful of churches actually there. But um, I can't remember which African church it was. Um, <laughs> they're way bigger than us. You know, we're two point something million. They were five million, five million people, and uh, and and they they are coming to be part of the this confessional Lutheran body, right? And so it was really interesting. Uh, the 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 Lutheran Church of Ukraine uh, was one of these, and so. This was really, really, uh, really joyful and re really interesting. One of the things I wanted to say about it was that uh, for many years, uh, we were told by certain leaders in, in our church that, you know, we're not relevant. We don't relate to people very well. We need to be more, you know, we need to, to relate to people, to, to build bridges and all of that stuff. And we're not very good at that in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. But something that's been happening basically is, is as stodgy as we are when it comes to our doctrine and practice, these churches are finding us on the internet and they're coming to us. And, you know, so it shows that holding your ground pays off uh, and, uh, and not always compromising and watering things down in the hopes that you could, you know, build relationships with other groups doesn't always work very well. Uh, so this is an interesting thing that's happening. Well, I think a lot of the seminary professors have been going back and forth also, right? A lot of, yeah, Pat points out that we have a lot of professors and pastors. Pastors, well, Pastor Hishke was going, he went to Russia, uh, Vlad, Vlad, I can never pronounce that city, way out the farthest. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, that's right. Uh, you said it. <laughs> um, but right, pastors, professors, a lot of uh, going to these other churches, preaching, um, and, and, to their seminaries and to their seminaries and connecting together. 
Actually, there's something going on with Pastor Bobby. I don't know if you saw anything about that. He's in Lat Latvia. Uh, what? I have no idea what he's doing in Latvia, but the boys are with him going to school in Latvia. So. He's there. Yeah, I like Carol and I are like, what's going on? For those of you who don't know, Pastor Bobby was one of our vicars here uh, for one year at Good Shepherd. Um, who is the rapper Flame? He was also uh, introduced. Uh, you can check him out on your own. He's an interest. He told his story. Uh, he grew up in a kind of a Pentecostal background and influenced by his grandmother and. Um, he told some funny stories about his Pentecostal upbringing, um, and 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 then then he got to digging around in theology. He got really interested in John Calvin, and then somebody told him, "Well, if you're interested in John Calvin, you need to go to Concordia Seminary, St. Louis." Thinking that Calvin and Luther, and a lot of Calvinists think this way. They think Calvin and Luther are basically the same thing. <laughs> so, flame. Comes, I forget his real name. He comes to Concordia Seminary in St. Louis and thinking, I'm going to learn all sorts of stuff about John Calvin here. And uh, finds out, well, yeah, they did have a lot of similarities. And there actually are a lot of similarities between Calvin and Luther. But there are some significant differences. And he discovered them in you know, his classes. And he became a very zealous LCMS uh, Lutheran, confessional Lutheran. And he's a rapper. And his, you should listen to some of his lyrics. They are, as President Harrison said, they have deeper theology or as deep a theology as any of the Lutheran composers of the Reformation, like Paul Gerhardt and people like that. He really, uh, he really does that in his, in his, um, his rapping. It's the first time I've been to a convention in any, anything that had to do with the Lutheran church and had a guy rapping up on stage. Um, 704B was a very, the most controversial one. And this has to do with Concordia University in Texas. It was a long resolution. Nobody could actually read it and understand it. It basically came down to the convention delegates trusting in who? The presidents of the Concordia universities and other uh, people like that. Uh, basically, the problem here is that Concordia University, Texas, wants to pull out of the oversight of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. I don't know all the details uh, if there are doctrinal issues involved in this or not. Um, but it was sad uh, to see this. And one of the things that I noticed about the whole thing was two things, I guess. One was these guys came with this sort of appeal, like, we need more time to talk about this. Okay? And, and then uh, uh, the president of Concordia University in Seward, Nebraska, got up and said, but we have meetings and the president of Concordia, Texas, doesn't show up. Boy, that was like a bombshell uh, when he said that, which kind of showed they're not being honest. And I also secondly noticed that a lot of the delegates from Texas, and there's a lot of delegates that come from Texas. It's a big Lutheran state. Um, at first, they seemed to be really on board with what you know this university was saying until they heard the, you know, there's a proverb about that. The guy that speaks first always seems to be right until you hear the other guy speak. And, uh, and, and I noticed, I felt like some of the delegates felt like, whoa, maybe we haven't gotten the whole story here. And then when the vote was 70-something uh, percent, that was a pretty, uh, pretty uh, strong affirmation. What's gonna happen with that? I don't know. It's a big problem. We're even struggling with the problem in our own school. And that is, I think one of the problems that they're having and all the Concordias are having is, you want to be this university, you want to have all these majors, but do you have Lutheran professors for all these majors? No. And at what point are we not being a Lutheran university? You know, we've got a biology teacher teaching the theory of evolution, and like that's, you know, God's word or something like that. And we have psychology teachers, you know, teaching that LGBTQ is great. Can you do that and call yourself a Lutheran? University? No. Uh, 
not in our church anyway and so that's our problem and uh in our school we're gonna we're struggling with that because we're having trouble finding lutheran teachers and uh so this is not something that's going to go away uh and it's not just a texas problem it's it's going to affect all the concordias and as i said in there my notes there the question is are we here to god put us here to preserve institutions or are we here to carry carry out the mission of the church which comes first which is more important Uh, 11-2a to reject all forms of racism and affirm our witness to all people this was a great resolution we have you can go back to the history of the lcms and all of our our conventions we've been dealing with racism since the 1950s we have resolution school all the way back almost every convention has a resolution denouncing racism okay i like this one because it did a couple of things that were pretty good at first of all it defined racism in the way we traditionally define it as the the claim that some races are inherently superior to others stuff like that but i like the way the resolution also addressed directly problems of certain philosophies like black lives matter uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion policies, uh, CRT. These organizations and these philosophies divide people on basis of race, and they promote their and, and may therefore promote another form of racism. It's one of the things we've always said that that's what these groups are actually doing. They also address Nazism, white supremacy, white nationalism as another form of this. Again, this is another problem of uh, either, it's either declaring certain races to be superior or it's purposely seeking to divide uh, races unnecessarily and things like that. So again, the church exists to call all the world to repent of sin, including racial and ethnic division and discrimination and um, in, in this, you know, Bible study, I'm not opening, we're not reading a lot of Bible verses, but you can go check them out. There's tons of them in all of these resolutions. So, um, so resolved, we reject any doctrine or ideology that teaches the superiority of one race, ancestry, or nationality over another, or that teaches that an individual is inherently racist. This is a big one is inherently racist or oppressive because of his or her race, ancestry, or nationality. So, you know, that's the issue of, well, if you're white, then you're a racist. You know, that, that's another form of racism, basically. It doesn't really speak to that. Uh, question is, does it address that God's people are Jewish? Um, we we have, other, have had other resolutions about the relationship between Gentiles and Jews and God's ongoing desire for the gospel to be preached, as Paul says in Romans, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. So, right, yeah, and yeah, and that's that's yeah, that's another question. Well, it's even difficult sometimes to define what is a race. Actually, that can be a difficult thing because there's debt race, there's ethnicities. I mean, there's white people, right? There's Irish. There was a lot of people discrimination against Irish people in the early uh, centuries, in the early decades of the United States, Polish people. Um, and so they're all one skin color, but they speak different languages. They come, and that's why it mentions uh, ancestry. Pastor, I come in my master's for administration right now. This summer I finished a course it was really, really difficult to uphold my Christian values without being antagonistic, but the definition of racism there was basically, it flat out said, only white people can be racist, and it is if you have benefited at all from systemic racism, you are by default a racist, and you can defend that. Yeah. Um, And that was my whole argument every time, is like, even this language is divisive. You know, you're paying so much attention to <laughs> semantics and all of that. And yeah. but you know, if we try to say, well, this is divisive, you're, and, and essentially, if you were Asian and you agreed with this, then you were right. You were um, a white person. Then. Yeah. So, yeah, so it was, there was 
yeah. I, I have a Puerto Rican guy in my uh, group who was like, well, what am I then? You know? Like, yeah. And, and it was just interesting that it was, it was really targeted towards one race and... Yeah, everyone else was racist who right. benefited from systemic So this is Melissa's taken a master's degree in business or uh, educational administration. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, and uh, in this class was teaching this new definition of racism, which basically has more, and this is where CRT comes in, critical race theory, which really goes back to something called critical theory, which is really about economic issues and Marxism. And the Marxists originally began their efforts by dividing people between uh, the oppressors and the oppressed, and the in total economic terms, you know. So you have the businessmen and you have the workers. And so Marx's famous statement is, you know, workers unite, you know, um, against the capitalists. It was capitalists versus workers. Well, guess what? That didn't work out too well. If you look at all the socialist countries that took that approach, you know, even China is a socialist country, but economically they leaning more towards capitalism in many ways. So what do the Marxists now, now they're trying to find another way to redefine who are the oppressed. And now the, you know, the oppressed aren't just the economically oppressed. You have gay people that are very wealthy, right? You know, so um, they've they've, and this is what they call intersectionality, which basically means, well, we're not just talking about poor people in economic terms. We're all talking about people that are LGBTQ, and we're talking about all these other things. We we just mix them all together, and so um, I guess what your professor was saying was that. Uh, if you are, especially, and they, 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 they focus on white people, if you're white, uh, then uh, you are a racist, and, uh, and they're, they're always trying to figure out whether you benefited from past things that white people, some white people have done, if they were slave owners and things like that, uh, that type of thing. Um, but it's not just that. I mean, I don't have any slave owners in my background at all because my relatives came from Germany um, after the Civil War, most of them. So um, I really don't have a connection about that. But what they would then go on to say is, but you still benefited from it because you are white. And, uh, and, uh, and so, you know, you have had advantages that other people didn't have. And what Melissa also pointed out, though, is if you are, say, Puerto Rican or something like that, and if you, if you dare to say, well, I don't agree with that, now you're, you're a racist because you're agreeing with these other people about this issue. So it's really more about ideology, and I think the bottom line is it's, it's a postmodern problem. The postmodern problem is, is that the postmodernists came up with the idea there's no such thing as truth. If there's no such thing as truth, then there's no point in trying to reason because you reason toward the truth, right? You reason, you discuss, you debate, trying to come to agreement with what the truth is. Uh, you know, like the old uh, television show, the truth is out there, right? Um, you just got to find it. Well, they don't believe that. And if you don't believe that, then the only thing you have left is power and the power to, uh, to take control of things and to force people to believe what you think they should believe. And don't, don't tell me that, that it's somehow um, a, a, a truth uh, for all people. It's not. Uh, it's what I want you to believe. It's my tribe. This is tribalism. And my tribe is on top and my tribe is in control, and you better get in line or we're going to hurt you. That's basically what's going on, and it's a, it's a, it's a tragedy. Um, it's an old problem. It's called the law of the jungle. And uh, basically, that's the way the world has been run for centuries. Um, that's, that's the way the world tends to work. It's only really recently that it's been otherwise, and that's really because of Christianity uh, and the view that there is such a thing as absolute truth. Uh, last couple of things, I know we're running over time here. 
to, rec- not re- to recognize the synod is not an altar and pulpit fellowship with the, Lutheran ch- the, the Japan Lutheran Church. Um, that one, uh, you know what? I'm going to let Pastor Packer talk about that next week because he's going to talk about the transgender issue. And I think this is a good one that fits because this is the root of, the, of really part of the root of the transgender issue. Um, on the one hand, you've got a guy saying, I, I can be a girl, or a girl saying, I can be a guy. It's not, and that all began with people saying, well, I'm a girl, and I can do anything a man can do. Or I'm a man, and I can do anything a girl can do. Even whether, call, whether it had anything to do with changing your biology or not, it had to do with changing roles of life. And I'll let Pastor Packer address that one uh, next week. He'll be happy that I did that to him. Um, and uh, and then, then tied in with that as well would be that resolution 11-05 uh, because those are all tied together, those issues. And just learning to stand against the culture to be a church that is not led by the culture but is called by God See, we are not led. It's in our epistle lesson today. Do not be conformed, but be transformed by the word of God. So God doesn't want us to uh, ape everything that goes on in the world around us. But rather, we are, we are here to be a, a force of change for the world around us. We have to change the world around. Go make disciples of all nations, right? This is our goal and that's going to create hostility. It always has because some people don't like those changes and that are called for by God's word. And so that creates a hostile environment. I'll let Pastor Packer handle that next week. Let's close with a prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Bless us in our worship for the rest of this week. Help us remember that you uh, are the one who is the Son of God and that that truth is so important, not even the gates of hell uh, can prevail against it. In Jesus' name, amen.